Hello, everyone, and welcome to another DMV Comic Book Nerds podcast. I'm Freddie. And I'm David. And today we are reviewing Secret Invasion Episode 3. So, how are you doing today, David? Uh, no, not too bad. Can't really complain. Uh, good thing we're talking Secret Invasion, because this week I've been really bad on reading my comics. <laughs> so I'm like chronically, I'm, I'm a big Daredevil guy, and I haven't read, you know, been to the shop to pick up that new issue. I'm really struggling on that right now ah you're starting to see what i'm saying like once you get into podcasting a tv show it's like the comic books yeah it's it's hard to keep up with them (laughs) well and it's like i've already so i've already committed to i'm a digital person now you know i've bought the tablet i I have the the apps downloaded so it's kind of like i've made that transition and i've forgotten well at least until daredevil finishes i still have books that are that i've ordered on foc that are coming into the shop Mm-hmm. So it kind of feels like, oh, I'm, I'm in this new chapter. I'm a better, more efficient person who reads on my iPad before going to sleep. And then I forget, oh, wait, I actually have to go in and pick this stuff up. And I, it's just I haven't been in like two weeks now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's on me. It's on me. I mean, it's hard. I know the struggle. Like um, if you want, I'll give you some of my tips for like uh, organizing your read list and your and your want list and all that stuff. Like, uh, you know, I've. I've been doing this for a while now. So. <laughs> yeah, it, I guess that's kind of the problem because it's like I'm chronically, you know, when you only when you're relatively new, and even though it kind of feels weird to say I've been doing something for two years, I'm new to it. But mm-hmm. it, 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 in this case, that totally applies. Um, it's difficult because I like to read my current stuff, and I really like following these couple writers who I read. You know, I really like Chip Zdarsky. I re- so I like to read everything he's putting out. Yes, I really like Rom V. After mm-hmm. I read the Many Deaths of Leila Sar. And he's on a couple like big two books right now. I'm really enjoying that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a couple others, but it's like I like to stay current on that. But then at the same end, there's this backlog of like 80 years of stuff. And yeah, and then like you're ba- like you said, you're balancing uh, digital and print and right. old and new. Like it can it can really become a huge uh, task. <laughs> yeah, and it's like recently my two digital reading goals that I've made for myself is read Krakoa era X Men. Mm-hmm. up to like m- most current and mm-hmm. then which that's already on its own you know that's a big that's a huge task that's yeah. a big undertaking and then second is if you do re- read it though we gotta talk to me about it because I, I i love that stuff oh no i i have a so i'm about to go on a flight to minnesota this week for a conference and i that's when i'm going to read hawks and pox all right all right and then uh, after that so that's cocoa era x-men one and then i want to read dan slot spider-man to completion okay okay which that's like i mean how long was he on that like eight years longer <laughs> Uh, you said you've already read some of it right yeah yeah i've read superior i've read um superior i've read the the gauntlet and i've read brand new day i've read a little bit of parker industries that's not really my favorite thing Mm -hmm. i haven't touched spider island because i still can't oh i love spider island i think i had a hardcover edition of that it's Uh, i've heard only great things but i'm like oh this sounds so stupid i can't believe like this is what like everyone but it's there's consensus everyone (laughs) i've talked to really likes it but it's like this is such a dumb idea it's one of those ideas that are so dumb and comic booky that you know once you go with it like it's a lot of fun i think well Um, i i have this funny thing where my my brother has told me in the past like you would say the same thing about Spider-Verse if they had it, you know, if it wasn't so popular. If the mm-hmm. multiverse thing hadn't kicked off, you would think it's as dumb as Spider-Island, if not mm-hmm. more dumb. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to have a section towards the end of the podcast where we talk, where we can talk more about other media. Yeah. But I want to ask you, mm-hmm. how's your 4th of July? Oh, dude, you know what? It was actually really good. This is like my first 4th of July. I've, I've been out of the country for a little bit because I went to school in England. 
mm-hmm. uh, where this is not a holiday, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> so um, it, it was nice to just be back into that. And then it was also nice to see, you know, family. It's also my first 4th of July as like a grown up. Mm-hmm. And not, I don't mean above the age of 18. I mean, like, 4th of July and like I have a job mm-hmm. and, and income. So it's like I'm able to ha- see my grandmother who's, you know, she doesn't have many 4th of Julys left and able to take her out and talk to her as like a grown up. Mm-hmm. So it was really, um, Outside the holiday, it was just really like personally fulfilling, if that makes sense. That's good. How about you? Because you live in, by DC, so I imagine you get to see. Yeah, like um, so I mean, I do live in DC. Oh, okay. But at, uh, I wouldn't say the Fourth of July is my favorite holiday. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Um, that said, I did read a whole lot of Captain America comic books. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, what, what, uh, what run? Yeah, like I did a deep dive of just catching up on the recent runs. Okay. Um, Kelly and Lansing on on Sentinel of Liberty with Steve Rogers. Right. And then you've got um, Onyabuchi on uh, Symbol of Truth with uh, Sam Wilson. Right. So I was just catching up on both of those runs, and it was pretty good. Like, uh, it was interesting. I'm, I'm not quite up to Cold War yet, but I read almost everything that, that's leading up to it. I've read every issue of both runs up until Cold War started. But okay. Likewise, I, I liked it. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I really liked the artwork in the in Sentinel of Liberty. Mm-hmm. And then I personally, the story in this in the Sam Wilson Captain America book got me more. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm in the minority saying that, but I yeah, I, I like the story of that more. Maybe just because a little bit more direct. I, I, have mixed opinions about both stories i mean i like them more than i don't like them but i just it's just like i actually have read a lot of captain america runs Uh, in my life so like i i haven't quite ranked it yet but uh uh yeah it was a good time to catch up on that stuff (laughs) yeah no no no. it's it's the right it's like how i like to read the long halloween you know every other halloween Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. I, i like to do that um so i get it cool cool all right um well, yeah, I also spent a little time with the family and saw some local fireworks and, um, you know, it was good. So I also rewatched um, the, the first two episodes of Secret Invasion since I last talked to you. Oh, OK. And, and I got to say, I noticed a whole lot that I didn't notice the first time around. Like, I don't know if I wasn't paying attention or if just like or if it's just that or if it's just that well executed where they like have stuff you have to pay attention to, you know. Um, so I want to shout out a few of the things that I noticed on the rewatch. All right. Yeah. I, I'm actually really intrigued. You hit me. All right. So, uh, I think the first thing I noticed, I just really feel like secret invasion with the scrolls is like Marvel's version of the Superman story, like with a uh, man of steel and the Kryptonians invading, like, um, it's got a very similar alien invasion type of scenario here. And like, it's particularly with the Zack Snyder movies. Like I really, that's one thing I liked how they really presented it as an alien invasion. You had Zod being like trying to take over earth for the Kryptonians. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, cause I, I haven't seen man of steel in, in years, but um, you know, I think that was more of Zod's compelling piece, right? The fact that it's not like he's just some t- tyrant going out for conquest. It was, we got this place. We need a place to go. Now, one thing I think Man of Steel did better is that they really tell you that Zod, like, his whole personality is ingrained in his DNA. Like, they have this codex thing 
where Kryptonians aren't naturally born, like they're born for a purpose. So like he's the general, like and he's all about protecting his people, making them a home planet. Like it, that's his imperative. Um, so you kind of get why he's so determined to do the things his way. Right. Whereas here at Secret Invasion, I'm, the more I think about it, I'm like, why are they so mad? Because because <laughs> they want a new planet and Fury never gave them a new planet. Because like they have a home. like They're over here talking about how they want a home. They found a home in Russia where they can be themselves if they want to be. No one's going to bother them because of all the radioactivity, which they're immune to. So like they have a home on Earth, but they want the whole planet. Right. So is it just like ambition, like just basic, like like how even humans like sometimes want more than they need, you know? I, for me, I think because it's difficult because at least in the in the comic book version, right? It's you understand they don't have a home, mm-hmm. right? It's like we we don't have any other place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was destroyed in the in the war, mm-hmm. and I, I do kind of struggle with that here. Yeah, exactly. Like they were, it seemed like by all accounts, like we're in Moscow and we're fine. Yeah, like they have a whole compound. They can do whatever they want over there. They're growing their own plants. They're they're being green if they want to. <laughs> no humans can live. No humans can live there. So the whole thing of like there's not enough space, which Nick Fury says like in episode two, it's like ah, well, it's not necessarily prime real estate. Well, he does like they. Yeah, they, you're right. They did say that there are million scrolls on Earth, so maybe they aren't all on that one compound, or maybe they're spread out. Maybe they don't like living on Earth. I don't know. But all I'm saying is, you know. One thing that really sets apart the MCU from real life is there's plenty of planets out there. Like, right. I mean, I don't know how accessible they are, but I also really need Captain Marvel to explain why she's why she didn't follow through on this. Like, maybe that'll show up in the movie. But, uh, you know, she's the one out in space all the time. Nick Fury, I guess he was in space, too, but he was, like, depressed. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but the scrolls, they should be able to travel space as well because like they came from somewhere to earth right so i don't i don't really know i'm not trying to nitpick it too much i'm just thinking like i need their motivations to be a little more clear i think for me again a big thing and we talked about it last week for me where i i my biggest struggle is going to be that i think the best part of secret invasion in the comic medium was the build-up and the payoff for you know setting things up over a long period of time, mm-hmm. and for me, this version of Secret Invasion, even if you know the, the scrolls have been around X amount of time, and we've been building, we've been building up this arc for X amount of time, cool. But for me, the, the struggle is going to be that these character moments we're seeing with Talos, who all, all the acting here is really, I, I really do like it. It's enjoyable to watch him just even talk. So this isn't a criticism on that, but a lot of the character moments to me just don't feel as set up. Because we've got to watch Captain Marvel before you say that. Though. That's true. Like, That's that was, true. I haven't that seen That was it. the bulk of it. Like, Captain Marvel, I mean, they really have been seeing this for a while. Like, for me, this is the next Infinity Saga. Like, like just the way that they've been building up to this. Like, this is the the culmination of something that they've been building towards or I'm actually hyped for it. Whereas all the other Phase 4, Phase 5 stuff has felt kind of separate and, like, wasn't really building to anything. It was just building up new characters, you know? Uh, which is fine. Like you need to do that sometimes, but like you, you know, Miss Marvel and uh, and uh, She Hulk and um, WandaVision and all that stuff. Like it all has kind of a separate storyline. I felt. Well, and, but do you think like for me, a, a one thing that when I'm watching this that kind of feels weird is, I know that there is not going to be an appearance made by Captain Marvel. 
Yeah. Right. Like I know she's not in this episode. She's not on IMDb. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, oh, that would be something that would be pretty. You know, to me, that would help help the interconnectedness a little bit. And I think for me, that's kind of the one thing that here that I really wish because I actually I, I'm enjoying the show halfway through. I like it. And it's like, I think what would make this that level of everyone's talking about it again would be if there was the interconnectedness of, well, at least Brie, Brie Larson as Captain Marvel's here right before her movie comes out. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm fine with, you know, her being in the movies and this being a TV show uh, focused on Nick Fury and, and pals because like, um, I like it. I mean, I like how grounded it is. I think how focused it is. Like, uh, I get that sometimes a lot of fans really want, you know, team ups and cameos and such, but I'm like, I don't really, I'm kind of tired of it, honestly, with all the, almost every other property being like a multiverse excuse to show cameos. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but, um, I'm, I'm kind of here for a story that's grounded and realistic. Like this is the first time I've said that, it feels like an, a really serious property that could be in line with the Marvel Netflix stuff. Like, uh, like I, I love the tone of this show where it, it's mostly humans and aliens. And like, I feel like it could fit with like daredevil, but I don't feel like it would fit very well with like she Hulk. Although I love both daredevil and she Hulk and, and they did cross over in her show, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a no, different. Tone. for me, it did feel like we've, I don't want to say we've grown up. Cause that sounds so cliche, but part of my biggest appeal with the show is that they're not they're not it doesn't feel like their story is being compromised by um you know because i think the downfall of connecting having cameos with different characters and all that i think the biggest downfall there is you sometimes have to compromise on your story to fit in oh we need to make sure that one of our heavy hitters is going to be visible at some point in the show and i think sometimes that can dilute an independent story Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, so I am happy that we're getting that. And I also think a big reason the MCU worked as opposed to the DC version is we had several years of solo projects building these characters up individually so that when they're together, you can latch on to a specific character and feel that attachment a little bit more. Definitely. Yeah. And so I'm all for the fact that we're building Nick Fury up, who is going to be in, in Captain Marvel in some way, shape or form. At least Samuel L. Jackson's going to be in the movie, whether it's actually Nick Fury or a scroll impersonating him, I don't know, but so I'm, I'm all for building up his character and mm-hmm. I'm all for the groundedness and the seriousness, because again, watching this for me gives me faith that Daredevil Born Again isn't going to be, you know, the Mickey Mouse version of the Netflix show. Yeah, I will agree. This is the first Disney Marvel project to give me that reassurance um, so far. I mean, we can't really judge it completely till it's done. <laughs> right, right. But I, at least I know like a lot of people were afraid, especially after like Moon Knight, like, because uh, I, I liked Moon Knight, but Moon Knight didn't get as violent as I think some people expected it mm-hmm. with the history of the character. Mm-hmm. And I think like, oh, here we've already seen in three episodes much more visceral violence than mm-hmm. we, not that I'm, you know, I'm not some peasant living in ancient Rome in the year 400 where I need to see blood on the sand to cheer or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it, it is just reassuring that I think violence is important to the story yeah. of, of Daredevil. And, and this one too. Get... Yes. Yes. Um, and, I, I do want to mention a few more things I noticed. Okay. Uh, so one thing I thought was interesting was just the focus on the conspiracy theories uh, and the paranoia, like, like, like secret invasion episode one opens with that, with that agent who's got his whole conspiracy board and it looks exactly like the meme from it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. You've seen that one. Yeah. 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 And then, um, but also it reminds me of like, again, Superman and Smallville. Like, I don't know if anyone watched Smallville, but the, but the first season you had, chloe who was like a lois lane type 
and she was she had this wall of weird and and she was trying to figure out you know the connections between all the meteor freaks and the you know like what's going on in smallville and, and the fact that there was an alien there amongst them um so i think that's a fun element of like these types of stories and then uh of course you got the the FXN news conspiracy host who was also a scroll on this show. Um, and then you've got Brogan. I want to talk about him because like I, when I rewatched it, I, I actually noticed how they did a good job of like, um, well, first of all, they gave him a yellow hat. So he kind of stands out in a crowd. Oh, which, that's funny. Which I didn't really notice the first time, but, you can what, what when you're paying attention, you can really kind of see his journey from like being in the scroll comp, scroll compound and being sent to like place the bombs and then like being caught. Because I remember that scene in the second episode where uh, they're capturing Fury and another guy. He's like, "I'm an American. I'm an American." And I didn't realize. I was like, "Who is that?" <laughs> but the second time, I was like, "Oh, that was Brogan," and that was when he got caught when the, when they were torturing him later on. You know, like like. I, uh, I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just thought that was a random, you know, random white American dude. Me too. So like, uh, but, but he's okay. but when he knows that yellow cap and like he's the only one wearing a yellow cap, like that's actually a good direction where where like you make a character stand out but also be part of the crowd. You know, it's like and especially in a show like this where uh, blending in is like the whole deal. <laughs> right. Right. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I I know that is you know props. Even though I didn't notice them, that notice it. That's not fault to them. That's fault to me. That's really cool. I, I mean, it's credit to them because like I said, like it makes you benefit from a rewatch you know like right. like they have a lot of stuff you, that they want you to pay attention to so then um and speaking of stuff like that like they did the same thing with Gravix personas like there was that interesting scene where nick fury is um walking through russia and everybody's like stopping to look at him you see a lady kissing a guy on a couch on, not on a couch on a bench and then she looks at nick fury and then you see like a little girl and then you see like um i, I want to say someone else but i can't um, you see the guy in the bar and then later on, when Fury's at the Unity Day Parade, you see those same people. And that's, the, that's who Fury is following through the crowd. And then that, we see that that's Gravik. And so that implies that Gravik has been stalking Fury this entire time. Like, um, like personally, like, Gravik was there in that first episode watching Fury. All this time, I would have thought he was just at the scroll compound. But no, he's out there, you know, watching Fury. And not only that, I want to know who Gravik was kissing when he was the woman. Like, is, is Gravik bisexual? Like, is that a whole, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I'm not going to dig too deep into that. But um, it was just interesting and well done how they, like, you really have, they really make you watch to see what's going on and follow, you know, all the little details. Um, and then let's also talk about the combination of, DNA that they're putting into the super scrolls. I think you mentioned it a little bit last time, but we didn't really dig deep into it. So I wrote it down they have Groot, mm -hmm. they have a Frost Beast, mm -hmm. they have the Call Obsidian, right? And then they have Extremis. Oh, I didn't see Extremis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I think that's a pretty interesting mix. Like I know there are some Marvel fans who are like, "This is not the super scroll that I'm used to with right, Fantasy right. Four powers," and I'm sorry, it's just not going to be because we haven't had MC Fantastic Four yet. But I feel like this is just as cool. Like we haven't seen it yet, but unless you watch the trailer, but like I think, I think it works. I'm not mad at it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think 
because for me, again, the MCU continuity is entirely different than, than the comic one for me. Mm-hmm. So he- hearing that doesn't really bother me. Likewise, the Fantastic Four isn't really here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I don't think just us getting a super scroll, scroll here negates getting the FF super scroll in a future production. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Because I, I, I would be totally, I mean, my hope, and I've seen some people say it on the internet, and I don't think this will happen. Because I think this is a lot of people like to rush to the big events without giving things time to properly develop. Mm-hmm. But I have seen some people, which means this is definitely not going to happen. But on- some people on Twitter, Instagram, um, so forth, I've seen have said that there was like a deleted scene with Doom at some point in Wakanda Forever. And they were like, well, if you look at the guy he's talking to here, it looks like um, Gravik from the back. And so maybe. You know, at the end, Doom acquiesces Grevic to make a super scroll for him. But I don't know about that. Like, who who is this Doom that they say that they've seen? I don't, I haven't even heard about an actor or anything. No, it's it's. The, I'm gonna be. It's not happening. But mm-hmm. uh, I I mean, do I I like the idea? I'm just saying it's not gonna happen. But um, there was a leak a, a little while ago about it being um about him being in Wakanda forever. Um. But again, in these day, day and ages, like we're not going to see something like that and not know he's been cast. Yeah, that's, yeah, I, that's that must have just been a rumor because, like, because I I don't remember hearing too much about Doom. Uh, I mean, I did I I do recall a little bit of speculation about it, but I don't I don't think that's what I don't think that they filmed anything. Also. No, no, there's no there's no way anything has been filmed for this. And, and I gotta say, they I feel like Doom is a scary thing for me because I'm like, you gotta get Doom right. And he's a hard character to get right because he's like very comic booky. I mean, and then in films, like you, you have Darth Vader, who kind of was inspired by Doom, who's like so successful at being a villain. And then you've got uh, the, the, the versions of Doom we got in the first two versions of the Fantastic Four where they're like, okay i mean like you know no one was like super impressed with either of them but uh but they weren't terrible in my opinion but it's a tricky thing to to bring to the big screen because like this whole honestly a lot of the ff is kind of old school and i don't know if they're going to be able to update it in a way that fans are going to like really love i I, i'm totally with you i i think the best parts of the fantastic four are really wholesome mm-hmm. and like, you know, kind of like the, the oldest old school I can go to is I used to watch like masters of the universe mm-hmm. uh, when I was like five and fantastic four has always kind of bled into that for me a little bit. Like okay. that whole, like, Oh, you know, here's a little bit of action or whatever, but at the end of every episode, I'm going to talk to you about like, this is why the good guys won and make sure you do what the good guys did do did here. So you can be a good guy too. Like it kind of leans into like the wholesome, like values kind of, are you talking about a Fantastic Four cartoon or just in general? No, no, I'm talking more more to comic books where it's like a lot of the interactions are quite, you know, it focuses on the value of family, the right. value of friendship, right? Like you're my brother-in-law. And even though in real life, brother-in-laws don't always like even interact here, that means something. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I don't really know if you can make, if you adapt it that way, I don't know how many people would come to the screen to see that. Right, like they tried to update the Fantastic Four in the 2015 movie based off of the ultimate comic books and like nobody liked that. I mean, I appreciated it for what it was worth as someone who read the ultimate comic books when they were coming out. But um, I I can see why it wasn't a hit. And like, honestly, I would rather see 
a, a, a movie about the Ultimates, which is like, you know, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Miss America. Like, they could do that. They could bring in Blue Marvel, um, Monica Rambeau. Like, that would be... They, they almost already have all the ingredients they need to do that, which is like a Fantastic Four, but more modernized and more diverse. But they, I'm not Kevin Feige, so... <laughs> yeah, I just think, like, I, I think, like, your hope there would be right, because we're getting Secret Wars. And the maker... I mean, we know they don't have to one-for-one one adapt everything, mm-hmm. but the maker is pretty important and there has to be someone playing his role and we, we've already gone full multiverse you know we're going to see different versions of different characters so i definitely think we will see a reed richards and a you know, evil reed richards interesting like see i wouldn't have even thought about the maker because when i think secret wars first thing i think of is the beyonder like the old school's first original secret wars and like i would be interested to see if they could do something cool with the beyonder but but you're right though the maker has been he was important to the Hickman Secret Wars, and also uh, he's he's back again with the rebirth of the, the Ultimate Universe, and like, um, and evil Reed Richards is something we've never really seen on screen yet, so that could be interesting. Uh, it would be hilarious if they brought back Miles Teller. <laughs> yeah, uh, I. But we got we gotta get back get to Secret Wars. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so. Um, here we go. Uh, this episode is titled Betrayed. It was directed by Ali Salim and written by Roxanne Paredes and Brian Tucker. All right. So it opens um, with a scene where Pagan and Beto and another scroll are preparing for their mission, to, which we find out later is to infiltrate the Royal Navy to attack a UN plane. And Beto asks Pagan if he thinks that bringing chaos will work. And Pagan says that they both have faith in the future and all faith is built on risk. So that's what they have to take. Um, what do you think of this scene? This is, I thought it was weird that this is the undertone, like we're getting this undertone of a plot at halfway through the season. I kind of expect, this is something like, I liked it. I expected it to come earlier in the show. And kind of being like more dramatically built up to, if that makes sense. Like this scene specifically, I thought would have been an episode one kind of scene. And you revisit it episodes later. If that does that make sense? Do you, do you see what I'm kind of getting at? Well, I kind of felt like it made sense here because in episode one, we see Beto arrive to the scroll. That's true. And I, I guess what I'm getting at is more like the setting up that plot for me. I expected like the behind the scenes scheming, I expected that to come a little bit earlier. But yes, in terms of the characters that they use for it, yeah, it, it makes sense that it's happening now. And and I would say that Gravik does have like a, a a multi-step plan. Like step one in episode one was bombing Unity Day. Step two, episode two, was having a coup in the Scroll Council and um, extracting Rogan from you know or, or retrieving him from being caught. Uh, and then oh, that was another thing I noticed from rewatching like. And it comes up this episode where once they've got Brogan, they're heading back to a safe house, but then there's their safe house is overrun with cops. So Gravik's like, we'll just keep driving. And that's when they take Brogan to the woods and execute him. And I'm like, wow. Like, uh, so uh, that was a good clue to show that they have been like, there. someone is on to them and someone might've betrayed them. So we'll come back to that in a bit. But like, I, I don't have any problem with, uh, I mean, I feel like, I liked how this episode 
was based around this mission pretty much of, of, of them infiltrating the Navy and about to launch this missile strike against the UN. Yeah, and that, that I do, that I agree with, that if we're going for a condensed, like I did like that this episode, if someone walked in, you know, let's say they saw a scene on Twitter and they're like, oh, I'm not going to get up to date. I'll just watch the most current episode, even though I don't think people do that anymore. I did like that it was very contained, that you had both an overarching, like this is where we are, the characters have their story arcs that progressed incrementally in this episode. And then you have, but this episode is the, we got to stop th this mission from happening kind of episode. And also... I really got to praise this show again for making me pay attention because like they keep doing this thing where they'll show you a scene, but they won't tell you what's going on until maybe the next scene or even later on in the show. Like, like they, they don't really reveal all the details until later, um, which is kind of an interesting technique. Like um, I'm sure other shows do it, but I feel like this show is doing it pretty well. And, and it's thematically relevant. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's all about the reveal and the, and the, like, you know, the secrets. <laughs> All right, so um, one more thing I'll say about this is like I, I, I liked how the scene with Pagan and Beto was like it was very much what you would expect from kind of like a cult or like you know um, or maybe a, a militaristic cult where like you know like everyone has to not only do a task but they also have to have faith like they have to have these shared values and perspectives to kind of make this plan works. Yeah, and I like that we also see that as a person, right? We've heard stories about how Grebic got scrolls to his side. You know, a lot of the scrolls that we see people interact with in the show have a respect from Grebic in the past as well as up to date. That's why he has followers. Mm -hmm. And I do like that you know that, okay, at one point this guy was an inspiring figure. He still is to some, but an inspiring figure for majority of the population. Mm -hmm. And that uh, he's kind of slowly, he has this creed he abides by. And we're seeing that he's slowly becoming more extreme. He's definitely their cult leader. Um, there was a scene, was it this episode or I think it might've been, uh, I think it might've been in the second episode where, where Gravik is talking to, to Pagan and Pagan is like, um, you are the mission. And then Gravik's like, no, I'm not the mission. The mission is home or something like that. Right. Right. Um, I, I don't remember. Maybe that was episode two. I think it was episode two because this was like after he came back. I don't know. If we come across it, we'll just talk about it again. But <laughs> right. But yeah, for me, seeing that extreme the the process of radicalization he's going yeah, through to achieve exactly. his means, I, I find that interesting. I yeah. find it that you know, if you see that um, Amelia Clark's character Gaia, mm -hmm. uh, I, I feel like their discontent is really driven by the fact that maybe she originally agreed with his ideas and principle, but what's mm -hmm. pulled pushed her away is the means. Yeah. Yeah, like all of this is very interesting. Right. All right. So, so next, Gravik tells the Scroll Council about his plan to turn all scrolls into super scrolls and to make the human race extinct. Like they they've met with him in that science room where the machine is. Um, and then we get a flashback to New York City in 1998, and Fury goes to a diner, um, and that's where he meets up with. Vara, who we know as his wife in the present day. So um, this was an interesting scene because um, basically he doesn't really know that it's her yet. Uh, apparently this like she's taken on this new human form for the first time. So he has to kind of like talk to her to, to, to realize that it's her. Um, 
although there was a funny line at the beginning of the scene I have to shout out because um, the waitress asks Fury if he wants coffee and how does he like it? And he says black. And um, for fans of Luke Cage, you know, this, this has a, uh, this is a, what do you call it? A euphemism. <laughs> but, uh, or it could just be an innocent scene. I don't know, but it was, it was kind of, for me, it had a deeper meaning. Um, but then Vara, you know, they're flirting. Um, she mentions that she has some info to pass on to him that'll uh, help him against Drakov's men. You might remember Drakov from like the Black Widow movie. Mm. Did you see that one? Yes, yes. All right. And then uh, Fury asks who she's impersonating. And she's like, uh, that doesn't really matter. He's like, yes, it does because we have rules. And then, but she's like, actually, I'm part of a unit that doesn't exist and I don't work for you. So, you know, not your business. <laughs> so that's interesting. Like, she's kind of like a black ops scroll. Like, who is she working for? Well, did they? One thing I was concerned about because scrolls, and you see it in Grevick's camp and in comic books, we see a little bit more of this. They normally like knock out the people that they impersonate and take their <laughs> memories. She's not doing that, right? I don't know what she's doing. Like, um, I think you have your default scrolls who can just shape shift, and like they don't even have to like shape shift into a specific person. Like, they could just do it be whoever they want to be but the secret invasion scrolls from the comic and from the show like they 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 go next level like they are they find the person to copy and replace right because they don't want to be detected and they're trying to you know do political machinations and moves and whatnot so maybe she is impersonating someone or maybe she isn't like I kind of prefer it if she isn't and she's more of like doing her own thing. I don't know. Likewise. Yeah. No, I was hoping because I was gonna say like oh she's impersonating and like Nick Fury knows that she's just stolen someone you know, has kidnapped someone for the sake of just being attracted to him. Like, that's kind of bad. Like, did you watch HBO's Watchmen series? I have not watched HBO's Watchmen series because I haven't read Watchmen yet. Oh, well, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I will say that they have a somewhat similar uh, storyline and they have a pretty unique way of explaining why it is the way it is so i'm not gonna say anything more than that okay, <laughs> but, okay. But fans who are listening who've watched it know what i'm talking about um so back to this scene um then we're in the present and fury's cooking breakfast and he's watching fxn news and then vara turns it off he's like i don't know why you're watching this poison and he's like even a broken clock is right um twice a day because uh you see the who we know is a scroll that that host he's saying like um get ready for world war three like right right bunkers ready (laughs) um and then vara asks fury why he came back after all these years and like i appreciated how quickly we got the scene because last after last episode i was wondering like was he away from her this whole time or was he just away from earth i don't know but now we find out yes he he was away from her as well um he says that he retired and then instead of golf, he might take up revenge. And I love that line because, like, again, this kind of reminds me of my dad. I hate to say it. <laughs> well, he he kind of had a little, he had a few personal vendettas. <laughs> um, probably not, like, Nick Fury level, but, uh, you know. Anyway, then he asks her if she's been in touch with Gravik. And she kind of deflects. She says that she grieved him during the blip. And then she returned to herself after he left the second time. Um, and then she receives a call and she keeps it brief and she's very vague. 
She tells Fury it wasn't important. Then she kisses Fury, and then she leaves him alone in the kitchen with her phone. And that's the end of the scene. So what did you think of that scene? You very quickly, again, I could watch Samuel Jackson just have conversations. I don't know if Tarantino's just groomed me to just be able to (laughs) just watch him talk and be just mesmerized. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I could watch him talk about anything. I could watch him talk about, you know, what his favorite order at Chipotle is. Yeah, he's so good at just, like, acting. (laughs) And he's just, like, he's so charismatic even in character. Because I would believe any actor not acting is charismatic by default. Um, but to be able to be in any personality, draw me in, just it's cool. It's just such a great talent to have. It's why he's probably in this business and has been successful so, so long. But with the phone thing, I do think that another through line of this episode was what's going on with you know their, their relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it cl- opens with that and it closes with that, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, the phone call was their way of trying to get your attention to say, pay attention to her like if nick fury doesn't trust his own wife you the viewer shouldn't be trusting his own wife yeah and then i wonder if she purposefully left him alone with the phone to kind of like either because maybe she trusts him or maybe she wants to prove that she's trustworthy or maybe she's testing him to see if he's going to look at her phone without her permission like i don't know if he did or didn't i don't know i don't know what was happening honestly like it was the way they left that scene was very interesting yeah, I take it as, and I could, I'm so open to being wrong, but I just like to speculate aimlessly. Uh, I take it as a lot of people underestimate him in this show, right? A lot of people are like, you're old, you're washed up, you, you ain't going to be able to do what you used to be able to do. And I, I would find it kind of funny if it's like even his own wife doesn't think this guy has it anymore. Well, which you, you said something about phones this episode and how it was like a recurring uh, thing where a character would have a phone, like, and all the characters are using these phones to pass information, um, stuff that they can't say explicitly. So it's like, um, like Gra- Gaia does it later on. And then, um, and then we see Vara with another phone at the end. So it's like, um, yeah, I, spies in their phones. What can you say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, kind of, I think it's like one way, to, I've always found it really interesting in uh, any form of media. How do you address phones in terms of storytelling? Because in so many mediums, so many plots rely on uh, character A not knowing what character B is thinking, or they're not able to openly communicate with one another. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting that ever since the advent of the smartphone, we've had to kind of find ways to get around like, oh, well, they have phones. They could just text that person what they're thinking. Yeah, and I kind of like that in a in a spy political thriller kind of setting. Phones can be the equivalent of keeping like information or cards close to your chest. Mm-hmm. So I kind of do like like everyone has. If people are on their phones, it's dumb setting up like their next move or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a cool way of trying to use smartphones in a conventional storytelling. That it shows you like almost like their loyalties are in this current conversation. It's outside of it. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, um, I do want to add to that and say like. I, I also think phones in film and TV are pretty interesting because they do show like they, they immediately show you what time period um, a scene is set. And in, nowadays you have smartphones, but in a, in a spy show like this, you know, they're easy to hack. So like, then you gotta have a burner phone. You gotta be like more on top of it. So, so like, so what you're doing on this phone is not going to expose you. So it's kind of the next level because like, we could talk about phones in general, like on a non-spy show and how, like, I think it's interesting, like, how, like Miss Marvel, for example, like they, they were pretty creative in how they showed the kids texting each other. Yeah. And then, um, and like other shows try to do it different ways. Sometimes you'll hear a voiceover. Sometimes you'll see text bubbles 
Um, but this is we don't need any of that in this show. It's just more interesting how they're how they're using their phones or or passing them around. So we'll get back to that a little bit later. Um, next, let's talk about Gravik and Gaia. She's sleeping and he wakes her up and questions her about who informed the cops about their safe house last episode. And she implicates Brogan and says that in his position, she would lie because she's a good liar. And Gravik kind of accepts this and tells her to join him early tomorrow for a mission. Um, what do you think of the scene where where Gaia was trying to like lie? <laughs> yeah, see, I, I found it to be more leaning into irony of, oh, no, he's already he smoked you out. Yeah, yeah. Like you're saying you're good at this and you're you're not because it's it's already <laughs> been like it's out of the bag for him. Yeah, that was some good dramatic irony because like we know she's lying and Gravik probably knows she's lying, but I do have to say she is fast at thinking up lies. Like she she has she always has an answer for what she's doing. Do we believe her? No, because we know she's lying, but like maybe I, it's kind of funny because she insists like she's a good liar. She gives her her best poker face. <laughs> I love to see actors lying on screen because they're already lying as, you know, being portraying a fake character, but um, they're doing like real acting. So, yeah. Have you ever seen Succession? I have not. Okay. Well, that, yeah, that's a show that likewise that lying is so uh, used between this certain group of characters. And it's always really funny to see that, you know, Mm -hmm. the lack of respect they have because they're just always lying and you know they are. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, here I thought it was more the, the irony of, yeah, you know, he's already, it's kind of like at a job, if your role starts to get made redundant and mm-hmm. you start noticing like, oh, all the stuff I used to do last month, someone else is doing now. Like, that's a bad sign. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that's the position she's in. And, you know, I think for her, the writing was always on the wall and we've and we've known that since the beginning. I think for him, the calculus has always been, if I keep her, I have an in with her dad. So I need to keep that chip for as long as I can. All right. So next, Gravik tells Gaia that Talos wants to meet with him. And she takes note of Gravik's plan on her phone. Back to the phones. And then mm-hmm. Gravik and Talos meet in a museum. And Gravik remarks on the painting. It's called Statesman of World War One. And Gravik uh, really kind of mocks like the, the figures in the painting. Uh, he says he prefers blood over paintings. And then they sit down over espresso. And Gravik puts a ton of sugar in his espresso. <laughs> this scene cracked me up because not long ago I rewatched the Brady Bunch movie where the mom's like just every time she's in the kitchen she's just like shoveling like tons of sugar into her coffee. <laughs> I don't know if that was the reference, but uh, it just makes me laugh. Um, maybe the point was that Gravik has no human taste buds; like he just—that's how I took it. Like they don't really even need coffee. Like it, it wouldn't like the chemical reaction wouldn't be the same for like an alien. So. Yeah. Like, he, like he doesn't like human food and drink the same way that Talos pretends to. Right, exactly. Yes, that one's you know adapted to their new environment, and one wants to make the environment adapt to them. Right. <laughs> so Gravik needles Talos and reveals that everyone else in the room is a scroll and on his side. And then Talos threatens to expose Gravik to unite the humans against him, because all they need is a common enemy, and they'll they'll get together. And then he stabs Gravik's hand, and then he leaves. And that was a cool scene, like Gravik's hand, he pulls it out and then like he, he kind of like heals because he's got that shape-shifting ability. Um, and what do you think of that? Uh, again, going back to something we said earlier, for me, it was just like, okay, good. Violence is on the menu. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think it will be on the menu in the future. Because yeah. again, that's the second time. To, and I don't know what it is we're focusing on hand stuff. Because last one, it was cutting a finger off. And now it's this. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, you're willing to, to use this stuff. Mm-hmm. You're willing to go to go there. And at least I, on rolls. <laughs> and at least on hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then Gaia, as, as Talos leaves, Gaia covertly bumps into Talos and gives him the phone with the message. Although she's impersonating a man. Like, like you, you don't, we know it's Gaia, but she doesn't look like herself. And then Gravik follows, but he doesn't see her shift back into herself because like a bus or a car passes by and he sees her at the car where he left her, although she's outside of the car. So a little sus, but you know, it is what it is. Um, then later, Fury meets Gravik at a bar and Gravik is still mad at him. Fury tells him about a lead on a scroll who's high up in the U.S. government and Talos wants Fury to admit that he needs his help and Fury does he he apologizes he says i'm useless without you um although it's interesting because he he got up first he's about to walk away but then he turns around and he humbles himself um and so he's back in talos's good graces and then talos tells fury about gaia's tip and then fury calls sonia (laughs) this was a funny scene um they help each other out like sonia has found the bug that he put in her office on her owl and she's a little snooty about that. And then, uh, so she also wants an apology from Fury. He's like, I already gave out my one apology for today. <laughs> like every, This episode, everybody's asking for an apology. First, Vara wanted one. And then um, Talos wanted one. And then now Sonya wants one. So, yeah, Fury's not really one who likes to apologize for his actions. Um, anything you want to say about this stuff so far? Uh, again, Olivia Coleman, the actress who's playing Sonya, mm-hmm. is, is my favorite bit of this entire show i think all right um, even with just minimal time it's just like <laughs> she's just con- consistently fun yeah I-, I want more of her throughout what what however you can like please mm-hmm. keep her around in some role i'm okay if it's just two minutes and you know mm-hmm. in the future but i just don't want this to be the end yeah she's fun and then they help each other and then fury and talos travel to meet robert fairbanks that's uh the information that sonia gave him all right so then uh, on the way, uh, Fury and Talos are in the car, and they have a conversation about humans and pet dogs. Uh, Talos is like, I don't get it. Like, why do you guys like having pet dogs? Why y'all want to clean up the poop of another being? And then Fury says that he's been cleaning up Talos's mess for years. And then, um, and then Talos is like, what do you mean you've been cleaning up my mess? Like, I've been cleaning up your mess. And then, like, then Talos lists how much the scrolls had have done for Fury. Right. Um, so this is an interesting conversation. The first thing I have to say is that uh, this scene kind of reminds me of when I saw Jackie Brown, the, the edited mm-hmm. for TV version where they had to creatively change all the cuss words into something else. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I died laughing the first time I saw that because they had a lot of creative ones, but here it wasn't as creative, but it was notably less like there was no cursing. Like, uh, they they talk about poop. They say mess, and then they say, um, and then Fury says, "A mother dog." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, <laughs> so this is. I mean, I guess this is one scene where they chose to make it, I guess, kid friendly. That that's because for me, right? It's if we're already cutting off appendages. Yeah, is swearing really off the table? It's not because we have seen them have like a few cuss words in like some of these Disney shows. Like I know they said shit in. Um, Falcon Winter Soldier. 
I can't remember if they've said any in this show so far, but well, in Guardians of the Galaxy, they they use the F word. You know, they they finally use the the one F word you can use in a PG thirteen movie. Yeah, I feel like uh, I feel like they have a certain allotment of how many words they could use. Uh, they, I guess they just chose not to use those words up here. <laughs> yeah, it was just weird. it's just weird because again, I haven't watched um the Netflix shows in a while, but don't they have like a hands off like you can say what you want like they definitely swear liberally in those shows or am i wrong i do think that they have more swearing in in, in those um i can't remember if they ever said the f word but uh i feel like here um yeah i guess they were just playing it safe i mean i feel like they could have uh used more adult language but they uh, for some reason they chose not to I just hope that because it's Samuel L. Jackson, like this is his show, really, mm-hmm. and it's focusing on him. And Samuel L. Jackson, if he's famous for one thing, above all other things, it is swearing, yeah. right? And so I hope that they just use just once, just one. I don't care if it's comedic, I don't care if it's serious, but you gotta have him like, use it just once. Like you have that iconic scene of him when he's being blipped, and he's like, "Mother!" Exactly. <laughs> Before he can finish it, he's turned to dust i mean i would love it if in some flashback sense we got to see like the moment he came back and it's him finishing that that, that. but but my favorite stuff was like the the redub jackie brown where he was like these melon farming mother trucking <laughs> uh muffin fluffers like <laughs> that stuff cracks me up personally yeah um, no no i've watched it on youtube yeah it's it's fun because i've i've only seen the, the real you know the real version so mm-hmm. then you hear about you know the legends of well this is what i had to see and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I got to go see that. That's objectively <laughs> hilarious. I mean, it does kind of kill the uh, seriousness, but it's hilarious. Um, all right. So where were we? Um, so then they arrive at um, Robert Fairbanks's house. They're calling him Bob for mm-hmm. short. And Talos impersonates Bob and throws off the security guards. But then quickly he blows his cover. And Theory has to snipe all the guards who turn out to be scrolls. And then Talos finds a boy playing video games in his room and keeps moving through the house. Uh, I was like, this is going to come back to bite him. <laughs> because, <laughs> because like since episode one, everyone's been calling out Talos for being too merciful or being too, um, not, not being um, violent enough. And then um, Fury gets a message from Talos telling him where to meet, uh, that he's, he's got the situation under control. But then Fury realizes that he called him Nick and nobody calls him Nick. So he realizes it's a trap and then he grabs the boy and then uses him as leverage because we find out that uh, Talos has been captured and is held at gunpoint by Bob. So then Fury enters with Bob's son also at gunpoint. <laughs> and then he asks Bob what he's working on. So uh, any thoughts so far? So the whole, no one calls me Nick. I'm just going to throw a fun bone that maybe you notice on your rewatch, but I saw that, Rody calls him Nick in the second oh, episode. Uh, oh, uh, let's come back to that. Okay. All right. So the next we see a scene where the captain of the Royal Navy receives a message to strike the UN plane and he just can't believe it. He's like, is this real? And they're like, yeah, it's real. Like there's one guy who's very insistent. Like you got to do this. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that's probably one of the scroll agents. Right. So um, then we return to Bob's house. Um, Talos offers water to the boy who refuses. And he's like, are you going to kill my dad? And Talos is like, we just want your dad to, to do the right thing or something like that. <laughs> His accent's very tough to do because he has he's both like Australian and has a lisp. So. <laughs> so then Fury is the bad cop and Talos is the good cop. Like they definitely have that dynamic. Like um, Bob insults Talos for being a betrayer and a traitor to the scrolls. 
But only Bob knows the code to shut it down. So Talos can't just impersonate him without getting that code. So Fury shoots Bob in the knee to hurry this up. He's like, we got, we only have a few minutes here. Like, you better tell us quick. And then Talos takes Fury's gun. And then Bob figures out that Gaia is helping them, which makes Talos mad. So then Talos shoots him to death. And then he calls Gaia to get the launch termination code. So she has to blow her cover to get this. So she, she goes into where they're keeping the humans. And she finds the actual Bob. And she looks through his memories. Like they have this kind of device where it's like a, you see, it's like a screen. You can kind of see their memories. And all you see are pictures of him and his son. So she sees that it's his son's name, Zachary. That's the code. So Talos calls it in. But just as the Navy captain tries to stop it, a scroll also tries to stop him. But it seems to have worked. Like the screen says mission aborted. And then Gaia steals a motorcycle and tries to leave the compound. Um, any thoughts so far? Uh, no, except I, I do one thing I was thinking. This is just nitpicking, but I just thought it was weird that the kid that we see in the hostage situation, he's a human. Mm -hmm. So I think it's funny that they just don't tell him, like, don't worry, don't get traumatized. Like, this isn't your dad. I, I know they don't want to explain it. I, I get it. But I just thought that was kind of funny that they yeah. couldn't, couldn't say it. And so he just had to essentially believe like his actual dad was in danger. Um, but he's also a kid. So it's not like he was actually a threat to them. Yeah. I mean, I was wondering about that. I'm like, is the kid also a scroll or is he a human kid? And then like later on, he'll get his dad back. Like what's the deal? Here? Yeah. That's why I took notice of it. Cause I was thinking like, Oh, it'd be kind of cool slash funny. If like they, you know, they completely just write off the kid and then it turns out he's actually, he's in on it too. And then he goes at them. Yeah. Um, I thought, been funny too like if he like revealed that he's a scroll and then he had to they had to fight him off or whatever but uh like a scroll playing video games <laughs> uh -huh, exactly exactly i thought that would just be funny but, yeah, but i think he's human and he'll yeah. probably get united with his dad later on um but they definitely kill the impersonator which i have to say like i sympathize with talos because in every episode so far he's had to see scrolls his own people get killed and like half the time it's him and his team who are killing them like um like they've had to take down a lot of scrolls in in the goal of protecting the planet so uh he had that weighs on him like he, he's since episode one he's like he keeps trying to tell fury not to use lethal force but then they keep having to do so anyway and in this case this time talos is actually pulling the trigger so what do you think of all that yeah, I think, I mean, it kind of shows, I mean, again, I, I in this episode, I think Gremick does the whole monologue about how, you know, humans are useless and, you know, they just fight each other and that's all we're good for. And that's the, the same kind of things that Queen Ferenki does in the in the book version. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I do kind of like that we're getting the hypocrisy because in, in the book, I don't really think you see the infighting between the, the scrolls. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't read all the times. I don't really think, you know, the scrolls are kind of more of a united front in that version. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, right, they obviously have this divide. And I think that kind of shows like the hypocrisy of that argument, right? And it kind of takes the, um, you know, it shows you the, the how Grevick is wrong, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot about that we could say about how wrong Gravik is. Um, I guess I was going to make this point in a little bit. So let's, let's come back to that. Um, so Fury asks Talos why he didn't take Gravik's partnership deal. And Taylor says that you still don't know me after 30 years. Like, I didn't choose Gravik because I chose you. Like, like Taylor's is very 
straightforward. Like he's always trying to tell people like, I believe that humans and scrolls can coexist and I don't want to see all this violence, but, um, you know, I will take people down if, uh, if other people's lives are at risk. So it's like, he, he has a very specific, uh, moral point of view. Um, but it's definitely at odds with Gravik and the rest of the scrolls right now. So then we see Gravik catches Gaia as she's trying to escape. Um, but she claims that she's just, um, she heard that uh, their, the other scrolls' missions failed and she went to go, she wanted to go extract them. But Gravik says, um, the plan didn't fail. Like the plane with the UN people, that would have been valuable, but finding the traitor was essential. And so he points his gun at her and tells her to turn around. And then she says, no, he must look at her and ask himself if he's a leader of scrolls or their worst enemy. But he shoots her before she can finish the sentence. And then he drives off and she reverts to scroll form. So she looks kind of dead. What do you think of the scene? This is, have you seen the trailer for the show? I have. I, I think I know what you're going to get to, but go ahead and say it. Uh, well, yeah, if you th- if, I, I think, yeah, I, you see where I'm going. That's kind of, I wish that they hadn't shown some of the things they did in the trailer. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I perfectly would have believed and for about 30 seconds, I was like, she's done. You know, and you had, it's like, you got me. You made me believe that you signed a major actress to a, a TV show and you're going to ax her like halfway through. But because so of the trailer. not dead because of the trailer. Yes. Well, I have to say, some people, I've seen some speculation online. They're like, what if she is dead? And then, but we see the person she's impersonating. Maybe that's Abigail Brand, or maybe that's a person who's going to be important to the rest of the episodes. I would love it. I would really love it if, if that was the case. Um, because I think then you're making the most of the plot threads you could weave with shapeshifters being your antagonist. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I I don't know if she's there or not. Like, I honestly hope she was wearing a a bulletproof vest or something, and she was just turned back into a scroll just to play dead. I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. I I feel like, um, I don't know. I like Gaia. I want her to be alive, but if we end up meeting the human who she's impersonating that could be interesting but also i have to say again we, we have another dead woman who is like uh adding to uh the claims of sexism of the show because like they keep killing women <laughs> but at least right at least they didn't do the whole like uh the, the shot you know the, the camera shot of zooming in from above and doing the whole spread eagle thing at the least but i'm just like you know uh, I mean, this show, they, they kill a lot of people in this show. So it's not just women, but like so far you've got, they've killed Soren, they've killed Maria, and then they've killed Gaia. So, I mean, they also killed Brogan. Um, and then they killed 2,000 Russians. So I'm like, so I want to go back to something I said last episode. I, last episode I was speculating that maybe Gravik might have a, um, turn around or like um, he, like he might have a conversion where he realizes he was wrong and might follow up Nick Fury's footsteps but now I'm like I, I was thinking about some more I'm like is he uh, irredeemable since he's killed so many people like he's yeah. killed a lot of people yeah and I, I think right even even in, in fiction you know Scarlet Witch can kill like 30 innocent people on accident and can be redeemable and she can also mind wipe the whole town of New Jersey no one cares because it's in New Jersey I um, can't doubt that. <laughs> you, you know, like I, I think, like in that sense, like 
even in a world where the morality and like people don't really get held accountable because it's a work of fiction, I definitely think it's established like there's no coming back for what he's done. Yeah, that's it's kind of a weird thing because, like you said, lots of other characters have killed, like, uh, like Nick Fury has killed, mm-hmm. uh, Iron Man has killed, like, I, uh, people say even um, Steve Rogers has killed, although they kind of like don't really dwell on that <laughs> yeah they, they like to just say i was like you know when he was fighting nazis it was fine he, yeah. he was killing well, liberally yeah. but beyond that they don't really you know they like to do the suspension of disbelief like oh well he didn't like really kill him he only kills bad guys in yeah, war. yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um so like i don't know there's always a lot of hand waving in the mcu but i but when i was thinking about it, i'm like yeah he really is the bad guy here so i don't know if audiences would accept him if he does have that turnaround moment, because like, because compared to Falcon Winter Soldier, like, you had um, that one girl I can't remember her name. She was like leading the terrorists. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the flag smasher. Girl. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, people kind of agreed with her philosophy up until she started doing all the murders. So, and same thing with Killmonger. You know, like, I feel like this is a recurring theme in the MCU where, you know, the villains will make a point up until they get really murderous. <laughs> I definitely think, like, I know you really like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, so comparing, like, using U.S. Agent in there, like, U.S. Agent definitely felt less evil to me than Gravik does here. Interesting that you make that comparison, because, like, U.S. Agent was vilified for for uh, for killing people in broad daylight. Right. We were the enemy. Like, that's, that's why they said they didn't like him as Captain America and they wanted Sam. At least... Fan, I feel like fans generally were on Sam's side. Oh, no, no, and I am too. I'm just saying, like, I, I feel like he's more has the ability to be redeemed than a, a Gravik. Well, yeah, I mean, he didn't kill as many people. And, like, he wasn't a terrorist, per se. He was, like, an imperialist, basically. Right, and he's trying to do... It's like, you know, he has good intentions, but is doing all the wrong things to enact them. So that's why I compare Gravik more to the girl, because um, she was killing people in mass and then uh and then sam was trying to like save her but then um sharon sniped her uh and i have a lot that i could say about that which i don't know if we want to dig into that now but um basically there was no redemption for that character right and she was a child like basically um and then here you've got gravik who's an adult who is merciless like i don't know if there's gonna be any redemption for him either no no no, not at all i think the the closest thing you get to it is if his people find a place to live that is like at least his you know his principle is founded Mm -hmm. but as a person i i I mean his individual actions are i think too far off the cliff i guess my thing is like i would like to see some redemption for gravic i I would be intrigued by that storyline if they did decide to go that direction i like Another example, Bucky. Bucky's killed a ton of people, and he gets redemption. Um, it's not an easy path, but like they've been trying to redeem him. Yeah, but it's not of his volition, right? It's like yeah, you can wave yeah. that away. So I, I just think, especially for something where it feels so like self-contained, like I don't expect a story to expand beyond the six episodes here. Like I think the season finale of this will be the end of this kind of at least you know secret invasion. I'm not saying the characters are gone. Right, right. But like the storyline will be kind of wrapped up. I kind of feel the same way. Like it's kind of disappointing, actually, because I was saying last episode that I wanted to see it, you know, have more lasting repercussions. So I don't really know what to expect at this point, but we can wait and see. We have one more scene we have to talk about here. Yeah. All right. So then Vara gets a message 
uh, on the phone. She goes to the airport, or was it a train station? A train station, yeah. And then she opens a security deposit box in the bank. She finds a gun inside. She gets another call. Um, someone gives her a time and a location. She asks to speak to Gravik, but they do not oblige. They're like, you're speaking to me now. Um, and that's the end of the episode. So I got to say, at first, I thought that the person on the other line was Pagan. But then people online were like, that's definitely Don Cheadle. And I'm like, uh-huh. no, but it, it does sound more like Don Cheadle. Like, he doesn't have Pagan's accent. So I think it's Don Cheadle. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, no. Likewise. Likewise. And that's kind of like earlier when I was saying that Don Cheadle called him Mick at mm-hmm. the sit down. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, they're, they're building up the fact that it's him. Yeah, that he's a scroll. And I really, really, they, they're not going to do this, I know, but it'd be so funny if it was like, oh, I've been a scroll since I, the end of Iron Man 1 when I was Terrence Howard. They could. I mean, I don't know when, I don't know how far back they're going to go with it. I feel like doing that would kind of lampshade the fact that it's it was a different actor, which would kind of take us out of the plot too yeah. much because, because we know that they don't look alike. But, but if they do it more recently and say like, he was replaced sometime where he was still Don Cheadle that keeps it a little more consistent and like, and then, then they would give him some somewhere to like go with the armor war show. I think they're making a, I can't remember if there's, they're turning that one into a movie or not. No, no, it's a, it's a show. Last I saw it was a show. And I I've heard that they've said like, Oh, well, this, this show's job, secret invasions job is this tie into armor wars. Yeah. I think I really thought I saw somewhere they said they're turning it from a show into a movie, but I, I, I might be wrong on that, but um, either way, Don Cheadle is supposed to be like the lead of that show, so maybe we'll get some more follow up on what happens here. Uh, but regardless, uh, I'm very intrigued with you know what Vara's up to, who she's going to meet with, what's going to happen next. Yeah, I, I'm very curious because you would assume that the job is for her to kill Nick, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I'd be curious to see like, is that the case? I'd be curious if. Is she conflicted at all with her job, or was she just ever since he was gone, she's kind of given up on him? Um, and then, yeah. the, like, like back to the opening scene with her, who is she working for? Like, has she always been working for someone other than Nick Fury? Uh, she can't have been working for Don for, for uh, Rhodey this whole time because Rhodey's younger than Fury and probably wouldn't have been in a position to be in charge of Vara all this time. Yeah, I, I think for, for me, I, I kind of see it that it would be like, you know, Grevik is alluded to not always having been this extremist. And he had a loyal, content, you know, people looked up to him because he was a high-ranking official before he radicalized. So as he radicalized, if she was already a fan of him, combined with her husband being gone, that could kind of lead to a... Because it is kind of a theme that multiple characters have told Nick, like, you're not here. You but weren't here. Me back to episode two, I'm like, I'm 99% sure that Vara is Gravik's mother, although I don't think they've ever explicitly said that uh, or shown that. But I just I'm I feel like what well, the 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 woman scroll who was introducing Gravik to Fury, I feel like that was Vara. If it was, I kind of wish that they would have said that because I think that dynamic brings something. And I think like if that's something that's kind of a bomb because we're, we're halfway done now. There's six episodes of this. I feel like they're waiting to make it a big reveal, like next episode or, or the last episode. I just don't know how I feel about parent reveals like narratively being like a bomb. Well, I guess it's like it's, we still have three episodes left, episode four, five, and six, so it could happen and and still change the game, you know? Yeah, no, and and it would. It's just I kind of wish that it was just done organically. 
you know it might be don't don't count them out yet there's we're only halfway through here no. i i guess because for me my biggest fear at this point is it's i feel like and again we talked about it last last week that when netflix used to have to do 12 or 13 episode seasons they mm -hmm. had to fluff things up mm -hmm. you know you had to give me a whole episode of john bernthal's punisher just kind of sitting down and hanging out mm -hmm. you, you had to give me the karen backstory episode in season three um you had to do things like that um and here, I kind of think it's the opposite, where it is, it's compressed, which I prefer compressed to overexpanded, but it's definitely like, uh, it's a little bit too compressed. Well, all I'm saying is, if they do reveal it later on, we can't say that they didn't lay some clues, because like, I... That's true, that's true. <laughs> I haven't out these clues since episode two. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just, we'll have to wait and see how they do it, if they do it, and if they do it well. Um, but I, I'm fully expecting some parental familial connections because that's what always happens in superhero stuff all the time like diamondback is luke cage's brother or like um or or the or hawkeye's mom is evil <laughs> yeah it's a nepotism heavy business yeah so um all right so uh any other final thoughts about this episode uh no i, th I think we touched it all i think i'm ready to rank it um okay. all right so david is it a 10 uh no but uh, oh, this is really tough because I, I gave last week's ones I did like a, a 7 and a 6 mm -hmm. and I kind of wish I could flip that now so I am I'm okay. going to make episode 1 a 6 episode 2 a 7 and this one likewise a, a 6 okay but, but closer to it it's closer to the 7 and for me again the asterisk being the quality of this can really change depending on the payoff in the future mm -hmm. right and so if the payoff lands for me this would go up because to me what this episode i really enjoyed seeing was the talos nick fury dynamic more i haven't seen captain marvel so to me this is the episode where it's finally like okay i like talos as a character i get him i understand him i want to see more of him mm -hmm. so for me that was and that's good and i'm still enjoying it and just because you know sometimes some people think anything below beneath like an eight or a nine is bad that's not what i'm saying to me anything above a five is good mm -hmm. so good all right well um I think I'm going to do the same thing or something similar to what you did and amend my ranking from last episode. I think mm -hmm. I'm going to give, I gave one a lower ranking than two. I can't remember if it was like six and seven, but I think I'm going to make it both sevens. Okay. Yeah. And, and then I'm going to give this one an eight. Cause okay. I, would, I liked it. Uh, I, I think it was, it's getting very interesting. I want to see what happens. So um, not a 10, but definitely something i'm going to recommend to people to watch because I, I don't think this show is getting good uh ratings like it's um i saw that i think it was lower than ms marvel yeah um and i think that's natural like like of course wandavision being the first mcu show was going to have huge numbers and then of course it falls off as we go down the line but um, that doesn't mean anything for the quality of the show i think you know i think the mcos mcu is still putting out quality shows so yeah, I know a lot of armchair like statisticians like to think that it's like the ratings of something reflects how people feel for a brand as a whole. And that's clearly I don't think I've never subscribed to that theory. I don't think it's true. Um, and I think this is kind of testament to that because recently, you know, the MC Marvel's offerings have been pretty good. Uh, you had Across the Spider-Verse, which I know is separate. Mm -hmm. um, and then you had Guardians of the Galaxy, which has been very well received and well commercially. Um, so even with that, it's just I, I think every individual product audiences kind of assess on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think that this show's uphill battle was always going to be 
you're selling a Marvel property without any of the major characters. And and I say that, and I understand Nick Fury is one, but to the person who isn't as invested and just shows up to the, like the cinema, I don't know if Nick Fury was the draw to make someone put the show on. Well, that's to their loss. Because yeah, like, I agree. Like I, um, I mean, I and I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I think that some superhero fatigue is something that we always discuss because we have more superhero content than ever. Um, and people wonder how long this is going to last. And I'm like, it could last forever because uh, they're still making Western movies, even though they're not as big as they used to be. Um, like, and, and there's so much comic book history to pull from. Like, I don't know if this is going to end. So people better just deal with it. <laughs> oh, and it's like, we haven't even adapted. You know, are you kidding me? Do you know how much is there to adapt? That's like stuff that was well received. Mm-hmm. like how many people like my brother when Thanos popped up at the end of Avengers that to him was a surprise because he's like that's the angle we're going you know like, the minor character compared to some of the other big bads really I don't know I mean Thanos I think a lot of fans put him like compare him to, he's like Marvel's dark side although sometimes he's a little cartoony but so is dark side but uh, usually they're kind of like I mean they're kind of a one-to-one comparison. Well, they were made by the same artist, and I, I well, think the director was. The director no, was. No, Jack Kirby created Dark Side. Sorry, but wasn't it that it was at during um, what well, some crisis event that had Dark Side? Then the artist went over to George Perez. Then went over to Marvel, and they're like, "Oh, could you do something similar to that?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, here's here he is." Maybe I mean I know that Jim Starlin has worked on both the New Gods and done a lot with Thanos. Uh, I'm not sure how George Perez factors into that, but well, he maybe... did the Infinity Gauntlet stuff. True, He's the artist for that. I think Jim Starlin was the writer. He is, so, yes. So, um, you know, all I'm saying is Thanos has been a big baddie for a long time, so I was excited for all that. Although, um, I'm not trying to diminish him. I'm just saying that, at least from the angle of the people I know, it was like they would have assumed back then that the you know you go for the biggest character. So they then like, for them, Galactus, Doc, you know, Doom are bigger answer- villains. Because like other like other than Thanos, I would have said maybe Red Skull. But honestly, here's the thing: before the MCU, the Avengers were like B list at best. Maybe exactly. B-list. Like like they didn't have as well known villains. Even their heroes weren't as well. They weren't household names. Like Iron Man was not a household name. Thor like until the movies came out. Captain America like it was like they really they really did great with those movies to to make them quality and make people want to follow what's what happened so right and that gets to because what my concluding would have been was going to be and it's still the same thing now is that the avengers were nothing compared to the x-men back then right 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 and it's like we haven't even touched that technically and that's why the x-men movies came first like you had the fox x-men movies uh i um and this is a good time to get into our other media so mm-hmm. so um so uh, let's talk about X-Men for a second, because uh, there's been reports that the new Deadpool 3 movie has wrapped and it's going to feature tons of Fox heroes from the X-Men to the Fantastic Four. And they just there was news just the other day that they're bringing back Elektra, uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Garner, Garner yeah, uh, from the Daredevil movie. So in the Elektra movie, I never saw that one, but um, you're OK. You don't have to. <laughs> I, I, actually, you're probably better off not. Have you seen it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah everyone says it's bad but sometimes yeah. i just like to see for myself sometimes i enjoy that movie but uh all i'm saying is i really feel like deadpool 3 
might have a lot of cameos just to kill him off. Like, uh, just like how Deadpool 2 killed off all the X-Force characters and how Multiverse of Madness killed off all their cameo characters. Like, I don't think fans should get too excited <laughs> unless they want to see brutal death. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, I, I really, my fear with Multiverse stuff is always going to be just doing cameos for the sake of having a cameo mm-hmm. isn't impactful to me as it is, well, if there's a narrative thing going on with it. Well, I, I have to say, though, if he is killing them, that does add a little bit more of a narrative value than if they just showed up and said, hey. Exactly. Like, they, like, they, like the X-Men did do. Like In Deadpool 2, you see a quick cameo of the first-class X-Men, and they are just kind of, like, standing there, and then they shut the door before Deadpool can even talk to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that, that works for me, too, because since it's a comedy, just doing it for a joke. Mm-hmm. also works but just doing it like because i know i haven't seen it yet but i know like nick cage pops up wearing a superman suit in the flash right mm-hmm. and it's like yeah that wouldn't do anything to me it was oh god don't even talk that was terrible like yeah, i'm sorry it, i'm sorry to it, it, like not only was he there but it, it was i think it was mostly cgi it looked really bad like it didn't even look human so uh i think that took away from it like i mean I think for nerds who are aware of the history of Burton's um, failed Superman project, sure. like I think there's a little bit of like, oh, wow, it finally made it to the big screen. Um, but other than that, there's really not a lot of value from something like that. And then, I don't know, like cameos, everyone's mileage may vary. My, my thing is just that for me, the most successful cameos and crossovers was avengers endgame like they built up to this shared universe where everybody was able to join the big final battle and it was awesome like it for me i I loved it um i know some fans thought it was a little cringy at times but um but but to see captain america finally say avengers assemble and Mm -hmm. then they're all there like that was epic for me I, i completely agree and i think that's where the again the strength of the medium to me is always going to be and that i mean more books and film is always <laughs> going to be long-running narratives that give payoff after a long-term investment but i do feel like you get diminishing returns if every movie's trying to do the same thing yes so, you like, can't have like five built minimal build-ups because then people get tired of it yeah um so with deadpool they have to make it different like if they're doing time travel or multiverse stuff like they have to have a unique take which they might but also, apparently, they filmed most of this during a writer's strike, so that's not a good sign. Yeah, and to my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Ryan Reynolds, he's part of the Writers Guild. So yeah. he can't improv, technically, on according to Guild rules. Yeah, that's a tricky situation, because I think he's like a writer, producer, actor, all the stuff in the same movie. Right, and it's so like he's allowed to act, obviously, because they were filming during it. But it's like, but he can't improv, he can't write anything. And a lot for a lot of people, Ryan Reynolds is now like the draw of him is he's funny, right? Obviously. So it's like he's and we want that writing aspect of it. So I'm really concerned to see, you know, how much did he get the right before the strike happened? Or is he kind of uh, going against the strike and, and making this movie still? Like, I don't know. I mean, I know that Daredevil had to shut down filming and uh, something else did um, uh, the Penguin show. Yep. So, I mean, We'll just have to wait and see how all this turns out. Um, but is there any other media you want to shout out? Maybe stuff that's already out. Stuff that's already out. Um, 
off the cuff, I'm, I'm going to say no, except I would ask if you've read any of the Night Terror stuff that came out last week. Not yet. Like I said, I'm going to probably wait until, okay, yeah. until more of it is out. You know, I can kind of like binge read. Um, did you read any of it? I didn't, but I know someone who did. Um, and I know that's essentially just hearsay. But I heard that at the very least, um, some of the tie-ins were fun. Um, and that the main setup issue, like the main storyline one that came out, was good. So um, personally, I think, again, I, sub- I just switched to subscription. So great. I'm, if it's good, I'll definitely read a lot of it at Halloween, which is a time this should have came out anyway. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm glad to hear that it's good because recently I've been kind of swinging more towards DC stuff when it comes to current just because of the, the, the relaunch of Dawn of DC. And I did read a lot of those number ones and I liked a lot of them. So okay. I've kind of been, my momentum has more been there, whereas the Marvel stuff has more been going back, right? Like the, I'm going to read House of X, Powers of X soon, you know, the yeah. Dance Thought Spider-Man stuff. So a lot of the Marvel stuff I've been doing recently has just been, you know, kind of the greatest hits of the past decades, yeah. wh- whereas I'm more on the DC vibe currently. Yeah, I'm definitely probably more on the Marvel vibe because I might use July to continue catching up on the Captain America stuff. Uh, but... Um, one thing that's upcoming that I did want to mention mm-hmm. uh, this week, they dropped a trailer for a Bob Marley a biopic um, starring Kingsley Benadire, who we know as Gravik from this show. So he's playing- Oh, really? Yeah. Have you heard about that? No, I didn't. I <laughs> yeah. love that. Yeah, I didn't watch the trailer yet, but I've seen pictures. Uh, so I-, I guess he looks kind of like Bob Marley. I mean, I'm going to have to watch the trailer to see if it looks any good. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm really excited to see him more because he, he does, at least in the show, you know, that we're gathered here today to talk about, he does the cool guy very well and and charismatic. And so I actually think it could be and a he good did fit. An accent. That's yes. Important. Well, is he, is he part Jamaican? I don't know. But uh, all I can say is I'll give it a chance. I mean, I, I mean, who doesn't love Bob Marley? Like, um, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, it's just so funny because now it's, everyone's going to be like, oh, no, Bob Marley was this girl the whole time. <laughs> I just I'm kind of glad because, you know, these biopics, a lot of times, you know, we're trying to want, you know, they're being made to win Academy Awards because it seems like critics like to favorably review them more than <laughs> other things. But I'm glad that in like in the wave of dumb that we've gotten the past several years this one does kind of feel a little bit more um off the cuff mm-hmm. so I, I am glad that we're leaning into this because i think this could be a fun one all right well uh, anything else uh no that, that's that's it for me all right me too so thank you david for joining me on this podcast and thanks to everyone listening if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more please subscribe rate and review us on spotify or apple podcasts also, you can follow or message us on uh, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, and League of Comic Geeks. Just search for DMV Comic Book Nerds or DMVCBN, and you should be able to find us. Um, and David, you want to share your, your League of Geeks handle? Yeah, again? that handle is at Della Rosa, D-E-L-L-A-R-O-S-A. Um, that's it. All right. Well, fans, your feedback and engagement means so much to us. We hope to catch you next time. Excelsior! Bye!